question I want you to think about this morning as we start our time together is, where would the church of Jesus Christ be today without the ladies? Think about that for a moment. Think about the impact the ladies have in our church. In our churches today, ladies lead the way in serving, in praying, in Sunday school, in mission projects, taking food to the sick, singing in the choir, and everything else. And this morning, I'm thankful for the ladies of this church who are willing to roll up their sleeves and serve Jesus fully. Not serve Jesus to be seen, not serve Jesus to be known, but to make Jesus great. And that's the reminder for us as Christians. And it's the reminder for us this morning as we think about the work that is seen and the work that is not seen. This morning's message is titled simply, God's Leading Lady. And just like last year, it's been interesting over the last two years, God has kind of directed me in a path that on the outside doesn't look normal, but considering who's presenting the message, there's nothing normal about me anyway. So it's, somebody actually said amen, bless their hearts. Um, if you'll recall last year, we didn't gather on Mother's Day because we couldn't meet together. But the message I shared last year was about motherhood and the challenges of a single mother, whether it be physically or spiritually. This morning, we're looking at God's leading lady, and specifically, we're looking at the lady, Deborah. Deborah was one of the judges, but Deborah is an excellent example to all God's people that he can use any of us in his service if we are willing and obedient to his call on our lives. That's the unique part of this, is you and I have an opportunity, whether it be male or female, to be used by God to serve him fully and faithfully, but you have to be willing but you also have to be obedient. When he calls you to do something, we're to do it. We're not to hesitate. We're not to think about it. We're not to kind of back up and look forward. And this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see some important principles about being a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to turn to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, we're introduced to this lady known as Deborah. But this message, we could put this message in three parts. And the first part I want you to be aware of is the sin of God's people. The sin of God's people. What you learn about in the book of Judges is the book of Judges is a cycle. Over the course of the history of the children of Israel, they were without, without leadership. So God would raise up a judge when the people sinned. The judge would roll for a time period. The people would come back to God, and that judge would pass away. The people go back to their old routines, and another judge would be raised up. So to understand what's going on with the ch children of Israel at this time, we have to see their sin. In Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1 through verse 3, look with me in what it says. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel sinned again in evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, 
who dwelt in Herosheth Hagoyim. Y'all are impressed I said that correctly too, because I got to say it three more times in this message, so I've been working on it. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Right at the beginning of this passage, we see the issue. Ehud, who was the previous judge, had passed away. The children had gone back into sinning before the Lord. There's this old saying that goes like this. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin causes that in our lives. So because of sin, listen to me very carefully, because of the sin we struggle with, you and I, there will never be victory in our lives or in this church like there ought to be until God's people get serious about not only confessing, but forsaking their sin before God. For us to have victory as a church, we as a congregation need to acknowledge when we wrestle with sin. We need to become before a holy father and confess that sin. But the problem is some of us wink at sin, think it's not a big deal, and then we wonder why we have little hunger for God or the things of God or no desire for his word. Because there's not a desire to know him. There's not a desire to give God what we're struggling with, to give God what we're dealing with, because sometimes we don't see, I'll use the word, the payoff. We don't see God do this miraculous thing, so we think, well, if I'm going to fight with a sin, I can turn it over to you, and you're not dealing with it because I'm not confessing it, so why should I worry about you working in my life? So it causes us to feel guilty because we don't see God doing things in our lives. It's kind of like the man who owed the government on some back taxes. So the man did this. He wrote a note on his check, and he said, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes. I had to send you this check. If I don't feel any better, I'll send you the rest. That's how we treat sin. We'll give God just a little of it, but the reminder is that God takes sin seriously even when we don't. Well, how serious does God take sin? He sent his own son to the cross to die for my sins and for your sins. He died a physical death for our sins. So this is why sin is a serious matter in the life of God's people. I want to remind you this morning for just a moment some things about sin. The first is this. Sin robs us of God's purpose. Sin will rob us of God's purpose. Look back at verse 2 of chapter 4. Because of the sin of the children of Israel, verse 2 says, So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. God takes it so serious in the life of his children, the life of his church, that if sin is not dwelt with, if it's not done with, if it's not repented of and corrected, God's people can miss an opportunity to see God's purpose. God allowed his people to go into the hands of Jabin. Jabin ruled in Canaan. He was ruling in the promised land. There was sin at the start, and so the people were being dealt with. But notice this, it was sin inside, not sin on the outside. 
It was sin within the children of Israel, not sin on the outside that they were fighting with. And God is dealing with this over and over again. This is why God deals with his people about sin, because sin will stop our growth spiritually, and it can lead to spiritual death as well. There may have been a time when you thought about missing church wasn't a big thing, not sharing the gospel was a big thing, not responding to the Spirit's voice when he calls on you, not being a big thing. But if that goes unwatched, our attitude about God changes. So you and I need to come before a holy God and let his Spirit reveal to us this reminder that sin robs us of God's purpose. Think about this for a moment. What is our purpose as a church? What is the purpose of Reedsville Baptist Church? Real quickly, it's three words. Come, grow, go. It's on the logo. It's everywhere you see. Our desire as a church, our purpose for Reedsville Baptist Church is to see lost people come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but also see others come to be part of this fellowship. Part of our purpose is to grow in our walk with him. That's why you plug into a Sunday school class. That's why you plug in with other believers. But that third statement says we go and we tell. That is our purpose. And we can only accomplish this purpose that God has called us to when we confess our sin before God. So we learn that sin robs us, but also sin restricts us of God's power. We can go to the beginning of the book of Judges. We see that there is leadership that didn't let sin leave the camp. In the chapter 3 of the book of Judges, Scripture tells us that the generation that came after Joshua, which would have been the grandchildren of Joshua and these leaders, did not know the things of God because they weren't taught. Parents and grandparents, let me remind you that you have an obligation to teach the truth of God's word to your children and your grandchildren. You have an obligation as a child of God. Because notice what the children of God did here. They had a change of heart. If you go out to verse 3, it says the children of God, they cried out with a loud voice. They cried out to God to save them. So God hears their cry. God hears their voice. And he sends someone to help them. Because we go from the sin of the people to the selection of God's person this morning. This is who we're looking at. It's a lady named Deborah. The name Deborah in Hebrew means bee. Think about a honeybee for just a moment. Do you know honeybees are important? Did you know honeybees are extremely important? A number of months ago, we had a tree over here that we needed trimmed. And when the trimmers were working on the branches, they found a honeybee hive. So they sent someone over to the office to say, hey, call your exterminator to go kill those bees. The exterminator walked out, and I told Jane, don't you dare call the exterminator. Listen to why honeybees are so important. I'm fixing to give you a little bit of a science lesson for just a second. As effective pollinators, I had to write this down so I get it correctly, honeybees are instrumental in the global production of certain foods that rely on the bee and its pollinating. 
a third of all the crops in the United States, listen to this, including avocados, almonds, and apples, depend on the honeybee to do its job. So the honeybee plays a huge, important part. Yes, there are other, other insects that do pollination also, but the honeybee is so important. Listen to this. And when I read these numbers, it blew my mind. Experts state that the use of bees in pollination of crops in the United States has a notable impact on agricultural production. Crops that have the honeybees pollinating those crops are valued at over, listen to this, $15 billion in the United States. Those crops that allow those honeybees to come and pollinate their fields. Here's the other one. Beekeepers in the United States earn more money renting out their honeybees to farmers than they do collecting honey. I think I found my next side job. Derek, let's go raise some bees together. We think, we laugh, but think about the importance of that bee. But here's the other interesting part. Remember, I told you that's what Deborah's name means as bee. Matthew Henry, the theologian, he pointed out some qualities between a bee and Deborah. He said that both these individuals, Deborah and the bees, possess their industrious, their sharp in perception, their great usefulness, they're sweet to their friends, and they're sharp to their enemies. That's the characteristic of the bee, but it's also the characteristic of Deborah. Some things I want you to see this morning, ladies and men, about Deborah, and it applies to us. So here's the other thought this morning. Men, do not tune me out because this is a Mother's Day message. Not that you don't tune me out sometimes, but this morning, do not tune me out. This Mother's Day message is for all of us. It's about our character and about our willingness to serve God. So here's the first thing about Deborah I want you to see. She was a woman of great character. Deborah was a woman of great character. Look with me in verses 4 through 5. Now Deborah, the prophetess, the wife of Liptoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. It's interesting. Deborah is the first person since Moses and Samuel to literally wear three different hats. Deborah was a prophet. Deborah was a judge. And Deborah was a military leader. It's already interesting that it's a woman doing these three things, but she's the only other person since Moses and Samuel to do this. But on top of that, not only is she a prophet, not only is she a judge and a military leader, but she's also a wife and a mother. Judges 5 verse 7 says this. It says, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. That's how she is described. She is described as a mother in Israel. And again, reminder for parents and grandparents what the call is for us to remember that our lives need to be balanced between family, faith, and work life. Think about everything Deborah is trying to do and be a wife and be a mother. And it reminds me that there are too many parents who are losing their families because their job is more important than their kid. Instead, 
They're making time for their job instead of time with their family. They're not building relationships. They're separating relationships. Let me remind you again to you who are believers this morning, those of you who have children, you are commanded by God to raise up your children to know who Jesus Christ is. As a parent, it is your job to tell your child about Jesus. It's not my job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's not the youth department's job to tell them about Jesus Christ. It should be seen in your life. It should be seen in your attitude. I can tell you, and I am not afraid to ever share this, the person who led me to Jesus Christ was my mama. And I say that with all boldness because my mom could have easily said, listen, go talk to the preacher and he can do it for you. But our call and responsibility as parents and grandparents is to share the truth of Jesus Christ. Because the reason that is not happening today is because we're talking about a character crisis going on in our world. We see teenagers losing and not seeing the consistency of our lives and following Jesus Christ. Listen, we want our children and grandchildren to see us living out what we proclaim we believe and we want them to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life because he's Lord of my life. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of my life, why should I expect my daughter to make Jesus Lord of her life? Why should I expect my nieces, my nephews, my grandchildren to know who Jesus Christ is if they don't see it in me first? It's part of that character of who we are as an individual. Listen, I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I'm not saying you have to be right. But that does mean that, listen, we do wrestle with sin. We do wrestle with certain things in our lives. And there are times when you apologize to family because we put something ahead of them that we thought was more important. It's by faith in God and letting him lead us. It's the direction that Deborah followed. It was that part of her character, and it should be that for us as well. So we know Deborah was a woman of good character, but she was also a woman of great confidence. Deborah had assurance. Verses 6 through 10. Then she sent and called Barak, the son of Abiram, from Kadesh of Nathal, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men, the sons of Nathal and the sons of Zebulon, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitudes at the river of Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. I want to pause there. Notice this. Deborah is giving this man confidence. She is telling Barak, listen, you are going to win the battle. You are going to win this fight against Jabin. Take 10,000 men and go because God's going to deliver this man and his army to you. But notice Barak's, Barak's response in verse 8. Notice verse 8, and here's where we have the issue sometimes. Look with me in verse 8. It says, and Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. 
I'll go with you, but you're not going to get the victory that God has already given you. It's going to be given to someone else. Verse 10, it says that Barak called to Zebulon and Nephthal and Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went with him. This leader of Israel was not willing to go in the battle alone. The only way he's willing to go is if Deborah comes alongside, and Deborah is willing to go. Now imagine the scene for just a moment. Sisera has 900 iron chariots multiplied by number of skilled soldiers, and this army outnumbered Israel. On his own strength, Barak had every reason to fear defeat. He's only going in with 10,000 men, but Deborah had just told him, you're going to win. God has told you to deploy, to deliver, and to destroy Sisera at the river. But for whatever reason, Barak does not believe Deborah. He not only doesn't believe Deborah, but he doesn't believe God is at his word. But Deborah did believe God. And Deborah is reminding him that nothing is impossible and no situation is impossible with God. This morning, I ask you the question, what impossible situation are you facing right now? What are you dealing with right now this morning? Is it finances? Is it family? Is it friendship? What are you struggling with right now that you're not allowing God to take control of this morning? Psalm 20, verse 7 simply says this. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. So we see a woman of great character. We see a woman of great confidence, but we see a woman of great conquering, a woman of great conquering. Because now news has spread to Sisera that Israel is planning to attack. Now think about this. Sisera, he thinks he's got it made. He's got 900 chariots of iron. He's got all these extra men. How can Israel even handle what he's fixing to bring? But look with me in verses 13 through 16 of Judges chapter 4. And notice what happens. Verse 13 so Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Herosheth, Hagoyim, to the river of Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went from down from Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harisha, Harisha, Hagoyim. Told you three times I got to say that this morning. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not a man was left. King Jabin's army and Sisera were humiliated and demolished at this point. So scripture says, and I love the wording in the New King James, because in my translation it says Sisera alighted from his chariot. It means he got up and ran. He ran literally for his life. But what I'm fixing to read to you next is probably one of the more interesting sections of scripture and I can almost promise that some of you have never read We're Fixing to Look at in just a moment. 
because Sisera has run for his life and he thinks he has found protection. But I also want to remind you, remember the one thing that Deborah told Barak in verse 9 when she told him that the Lord will sell Sisera and to the hand of a woman. A woman is going to get the victory. I want you to see this with me again. One of the more interesting sections of Scripture, one of the more stranger sections of Scripture. Pick up with me in verse 17, and notice what takes place. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Hebar, the Kenite. And there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you, and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. So pause. Sisera goes to a tent of somebody they have peace with, thinking he has found help, thinking he has found security. She invites him into her tent, which was already a big no-no back in the, that day. A man didn't go into a strange woman's tent for anything. But she invites him into the tent, and Scripture says she covers him with a blanket. So he, she wants him to rest. But did you catch what happens in the next verse, verse 19? He asked for water. She gave him milk. If you're tired, what does milk do? It causes you to go to sleep. Milk does nothing but kind of calm and give you a little bit of peace. So she gives him this milk and covers him up. And the last thing he says to her, listen, will you go stand at the door? And if anybody comes looking for me, will you tell them I'm not here? Now come, here comes the strangest section of Scripture among many strange sections of Scripture. Look what happens next. So picture this. Here is Sisera. He's lying down. He's got the blanket. He's just had a nice warm glass of milk. He's at peace. But watch what happens next. Verse 21. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand, went softly to him, and drove the peg into his temple, and it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. Then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Deborah started the victory, but Jael sealed it. Deborah had told this man, listen, you're going to win, but you will not get the glory. This leader of the children of Israel in the army said, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. So Deborah goes. Deborah starts the victory, but Jael sealed the victory. Notice what we've seen so far. We've seen this issue of sin 
we've seen the selection of God's person. There's one more aspect I want to show you this morning as we wrap up our time together, and that is the shouting of God's praises. The shouting of God's praises. Look with me in Judges chapter 5. Because now there is a celebration. The children of Israel are victorious. And throughout Scripture, when the children of Israel succeed, there is singing. They are singing songs of praise to our Lord and our Father in heaven. It says in verse number 2 and 3 of chapter 5, when the leaders led in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I even I will sing to the Lord, I will sing praises to the Lord God of Israel. Let me remind you this morning, believers, that the same God who led the children of Israel to victory over an enemy is the same God who gives you victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. The same victory that the children of Israel had is the same victory you and I have. So Deborah and Barak, they're singing praises to God, realizing there is no way they could have accomplished all this on their own. And God deserves our praise today. This is a beautiful reminder. When you're struggling with something, when you're dealing with certain things, think about 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It simply says this, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we're singing songs of victory and singing songs of praises this morning, there's two reasons for us to sing. Number one, it's praise for the Lord's help. We thank God for what he's done. We give him praise because of his faithfulness. Listen today, church, there should be singing, great is thy faithfulness. We should be singing that as the loudest voices in this building, in this block. We should be singing continuously about the faithfulness that God has shown us and how great that faithfulness truly is. But we don't always sing songs of praise when God does the big things. We sing songs of praises when God does the small things. So we praise him for his help, but we also praise the Lord for his helpers. We praise for the Lord's helpers, those he brings up, those he sends our way. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5 again. When the leaders led in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. How are we going to have victory like they did? It's when the leaders who were leading Israel were willingly offer themselves to the Lord. When they were allowing him to work in them and through them. Listen, as you read through Judges 5, it's a song of celebration for those who made an effort to join the army of God. But it also questions those who sat on the sidelines. Because not everybody helped Israel during their time of need. Jump down in chapter 5 to verse 16 and 17. And there's a question being asked in the middle of this song. And it says this, why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flock? The division of Reuben have great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? 
Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. And then jump down to verse 23. Curse, Mazor, said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Let me remind you something very important. It's in your outline. There is no excuse alive today for God's people not to be serving him faithfully. There is no excuse you can give for not serving God. Nothing. So today is a day of decision. For some of you this morning, are you marching forward in faith or are you going to stay on the sidelines and watch everybody else serve? Listen, our commitment to God should be just like the shining of the sun. Listen, can you block out the sun sunlight? No. I don't care how hard you try, the sunlight's still going to penetrate. Scripture even says it over in Judges 5.31. He talks about this in this song that we should be shining as bright as the sun. Remember this. The people, the children of Israel were in bondage for 20 years, according to chapter 4, verse 1. But because of a leading lady, God's leading lady, Scripture tells us because of what Deborah did, the children of Israel experienced rest for 40 years. For 40 years, there was peace with Deborah. This morning, you may feel down. You may feel defeated. But here is the remaining thought for you this morning. It is time to awake. It is time to get up and serve. It's time to get up and do something for God. Listen, we talk about in our society about being woke. Listen, the church needs to wake up and get back in the game of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those around them and not sitting down and letting our society dictate what we can say, when we can say it, and how we can say it. As a church of Jesus Christ, we need to be awake. We need to be awake to serve. We need to be awake to sing. And we need to be awake for God's day of salvation because Jesus is coming back. And the last thing you want to be is on the sideline. The call this morning is to serve God faithfully. That is the point of this message, to recognize sin. Notice when you're called by God and then allow him to work in you and through you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning's response time is going to be a little different than normal. But we think about this morning we think about God raising up people to serve him and thanking him for those who are already serving. This morning, during this time of response and invitation, this altar should be full of the men in this church praying for their wives as they lead in their homes, to be praying for mothers, to be praying for the women of this church as they lead. But this morning, we need to be at this altar, be praying for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This morning, we need to be down at this altar to be confessing sin that is keeping us from being fully committed to God. This morning, it is time to do business with a holy God who loved you enough to send his son 
to die for my sins and for your sins. This morning, you have an opportunity to do business with God, and I would strongly encourage you to do that today. But this morning, God may be calling you to be part of this fellowship so you can help in leading and helping guiding the boys and girls that have been entrusted into this church family. This morning, it may be just coming to the altar and confessing that sin that's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do. Whatever the case may be, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then Jean Ellen's going to lead us in a song. And my prayer is that you would allow God to do business today. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be here as we celebrate the mothers and the ladies of our church. But, Father, we realize that the issue that the people were dealing with was first a sin issue. So, Father, we confess the sin we're dealing with, the sin we're struggling with you today. Father, we pray for those that you raise up, Father, as you select individuals to serve you. And, Father, we celebrate the victory we have through your son dying for our sins. This morning, as we enter into this time of invitation, a time of response, my prayer is simply this, that your will would be done, that, Father, you would work in the lives of individuals, and we're going to give you the glory in all things. So, Father, steady our thoughts. Father, may our focus still be on worship during this most important time. We ask all this in your, in your son's name. Amen. Let's all.